Five days after the faculty party, Nicole's desire for a man's touch still burned in her heart and lower. Her divorce from Doug happened a year ago last month, and in that time she had resisted both the temptations of the young freshmen attending her classes and the few offers made by men closer to her 39 years. But after the party, she wondered why she was waiting. She wasn't ready, she told herself and her friends. But was it true? And even now, she couldn't figure out what part of what she had accidentally witnessed at the party bothered her the most. Was it the anger she felt over its occurrence? Or the hurt that, for whatever reason, it encompassed? Was it the complex shame she felt for not leaving immediately? Or was it for hiding during the incident and continuing to watch? Shame. Ms. Lansing? She looked up at Matt standing at her table. He was dressed in a crisp white shirt straining against his body, a black silk tie and khaki pants. A black apron was tied around his waist. Nicole remembered him from the romantic poets class she taught last spring semester. He smiled. I didn't know whether you wanted anything else. Another drink, maybe? More water? Some water in the check will be fine, thank you. She said. Matt placed a strip of paper on the white linen tablecloth and collected her dishes. Take your time, Ms. Lansing. He ducked his head, and as he walked away, Nicole wondered if he had tried to catch a glimpse of the swell of her breast at the neckline of her blouse. It wasn't that she wanted Matt's attention specifically, but at this point, any male attention would satisfy her. Despite the open notebook and syllabus notes on the table, Nicole's hunger for a man's hands exploring her body occupied her mind. Five days ago, she had attended a faculty party at Professor Simon Connolly's house in Berry Creek. The party was an early August tradition since she had joined the university faculty 10 years ago to teach a course on romantic poetry and gothic novels. Simon referred to it as the last professor's bash before corrupting the minds of American youth, but often they were sedate affairs. The rooms were full of middle-aged academics discussing, sometimes passionately but often in hushed tones, the previous semester's office politics, the national scene, and funding decisions. This fall, a new professor would be teaching a course on chaos theory, and Simon wanted to show him the university's welcome by showing the scientist from MIT that even small-town academics knew how to partay. Nicole added Simon's inflection, complete with a mock Irish accent, when she and Gina Burns discussed attending the party over drinks at Gina's house two days before the party was set to take place. He said that? What is this, 1994? Does Simon think that kids still say that? Nicole laughed and sipped her Merlot. They sat at a table underneath the shade of Gina's porch. The afternoon heat beat down on the trees in the backyard. Even the misters hissing fine spray around them did little to cool them. Simon was a survivor of the 1960s. He still thinks kids say groovy and fab. I think he just wants to debate the new guy. Nicole mused. Simon taught philosophy at the university, and Nicole believed he never got over his Catholic roots. He's supposed to be a genius, and from what I understand, we'll have a pop science book out in a couple months. Personally, I think he's jealous. With a paper napkin, Gina dabbed at the perspiration beating at the hollow of her throat and along her collarbone. I see. Albert Einstein's younger brother writes a book that makes physics understandable to the same crowd that reads James Patterson. But Simon's books will never sell more than 100 copies each. And that's often to students who've taken his course. Gina taught economics to freshmen and was one of the few people who ever had intimidated Doug. She was intelligent, attractive, and tall, six foot one, with the lean body of a dancer. 
That has a lot to do with it, Nicole admitted. I think, too, that he invited me because he wants to know who Doug is screwing these days. This was a small town, and the college was one of the hubs of activity. While she knew of several professors who, behind closed doors, student conferences involved much more than standard extra credit counseling, most of the university's faculty kept their relationships at a professional student-teacher level. Not Doug. Doug, it turned out, had a string of students lining up outside his office for special academic guidance.